0: station as the sun rose I sent a final message simply stating that the train had not stopped and that the creature was in pursuit I was going to do my best to save those men or at least confront whatever was hunting them I packed a rucksack with food a lantern a sleeping mat and any other supplies I could think of I left the station spotless using the remaining darkness as a space to purge all my fear and despair, scrubbing floors, wiping windows, covering the furniture, filling the wood store and carefully disassembling and packing up the radio, placing it in the driest and safest corner I could find. I wondered about the last person to do this, whether they felt the same sense of fear and responsibility, whether the rage they felt was similar to mine. Once everything was ready, I left, leaving no note or any indication I had been there other than the little vegetable patch. I felt a sadness at the thought of how quickly it would become overgrown if I never returned. I walked out onto the station platform for the last time, looking around for any sign of the creature, but deep in my gut, I knew it would be wherever the train was. I walked down the rickety wooden steps onto the ground and began to follow the track. When I reached the metal band that protected the station, I leant down and touched it, feeling the sun-warmed metal and hoping that the contact would offer me some kind of protection. Then I crossed it and continued on. The tracks were even more warped and rusted close up. I wondered how many years it had been since they had been laid. It had been a long time, decades, since we had had enough peace and prosperity to manage any project that size. I reached the tree line and felt the sunshine on my neck vanish, replaced with a chill that hung about the trees and made my chest ache as I pushed my body to move more than it had in months. I was walking at as fast a pace as I could manage on the rough ground, I knew it had been hours since the train had passed. There was no way I could have caught up, even if I'd left immediately, and in any case, I couldn't have chased down a train. But I had knowledge that could help any survivors, or, in any case, I could try to prevent it happening again. The forest was quiet. The soft sounds of nature muffled under the heavy blanket of fog that was slowly pooling around me. The tufts of moss that had grown up over fallen branches were covered in tiny droplets of water and every so often a bird would flip past me to sit and drink before darting away again into the gloom. The sun was blocked out for the most part and the light under the trees was a grey-green that made it hard to see far ahead and blurred my vision. I focused on my own feet and in avoiding stumbling on roots and stones. In this space my urgency seeped out like my energy. And my mind went blank, thinking only about moving my body onwards. When the tracks turned and the scenery finally changed, I couldn't tell whether one hour had passed or five. The sun shone down as I reached the edge of the trees, and the tracks began to move upwards along the edge of a steep cliff. I followed carefully, looking down and across at a wide lake below. As I picked my way along, pebbles disturbed by my feet fell down into the water casting ripples across the still surface. On the far side of the lake, I could see the ruins of what seemed to be a fishing village, now just a few burnt-out shells of buildings and a rotting pier. There was a tree growing out from the inside of a tumbled-down cottage. I took a break when the tracks finally reached flat ground again, and ate, sitting on an old tree stump. My legs ached, but my mind felt clearer, and I felt... An odd sense of joy, the joy of moving, of doing. The eased some of the fear in my gut and gave me the strength to keep moving again. The fear grew as I rounded a corner and found the first body. It was one of the soldiers. The tattered remains of the uniform were soaked with blood, but the buttons were still bright and untarnished as if polished that morning. His face was full of fear and death, but the set of his jaw was determined. I didn't think he'd thrown himself from the train in fear. He wasn't on the tracks, but against a boulder a few feet away. The bottom half of his body was nothing but shreds. I I didn't look too closely. His gun was clutched in his hand. I pictured him leaping off the back of the train, giving his life to add seconds to the space between his friends and the thing hunting them. I looked for anything that could identify him and found a ring on his finger. I made a note of the date, time and description in a notebook and carefully put the ring in my pack. I left the body where it was. I needed my energy for the journey ahead. The sky grew cloudy and when the rain came, I felt a jolt of terror. The memory of being circled came back to me, and I found myself looking over my shoulder as I walked, tripping and stumbling as I failed to keep track of my feet. My pace slowed as it slowly grew dark, and my fear grew stronger as my brain moved to thinking about sleep. There was no way I could rest comfortably on the ground with the thought of that thing catching me unawares. I held hard to the thought that it must be ahead, that it couldn't possibly know I was following. I finally made a decision when I saw a tree to the side of the tracks with a wide branch that jutted out almost horizontally. I clambered up onto it with some difficulty, then pulled the tarpaulin over other branches above it, creating a dry space. I tied myself to the trunk and the branch secured my rucksack, then wrapped a blanket around my exhausted body. I could hear the rain dropping on the tarpaulin above. I fell asleep in seconds. The next morning came in grey and cold, with the rain still falling steadily. I woke stiff and miserably sore, but still dry and alive. I ate still lashed to the tree and half fell, half climbed down once I was done, my legs numb and half dead from being stuck in one position all night. There was no sign that anything had passed me by during the night. I gulped in the cold air, covered the rucksack and myself in the tarpaulin as much as I could, and began to walk again. This second day I felt more committed. The station felt so far away. It would take as much energy to retreat as it would to go on. I moved along the tracks, the forest and the rain blending together into the same passing background, my mind empty. I don't remember much from this walk. The cold and the damp seeped into me as I trudged forward, resolved to walk and unable to think about what lay before me. The clouds above made it impossible to tell the time. The rain grew heavier and I became soaked. Finally, I found it impossible to go on and I sat down, not caring where I was. There was no dry place to be. I closed my eyes and inhaled deeply. The air smelt of damp, of the greenery all around and... and very faintly, of the acrid tang of smoke... I opened my eyes again. At long last, I was catching up. I hauled myself off the ground, all of my sense of purpose returning. As I moved forward again, my stomach lurched as my fear caught up with me again. The stink of the smoke grew stronger as I moved along. It cut through the rain, tainting it. I rubbed my face and saw the black residue on my hands. It stung my eyes as I moved forward, and soon it had turned into a thick black paste that stuck to everything. I wrapped a cloth around my face and kept moving. There was debris now, more bodies, pieces of metal torn apart, gashes in the trees and rocks on the sides of the tracks. I moved past the bodies slowly collecting any identifiers as I had done with the first one and making notes. The falling smog rain dotted the pages of my notebook with inky soot. I could taste the smog now. It choked me. I drank heavily from my canteen trying to wash it away. The forest had been transformed, no longer damp but clean and wild. It was covered with this layer of darkness, making every surface poison. I could see the moss and smaller plants already dying around me. It was harder to move now. I was coughing as I went, my eyes streaming and aching. I stumbled forward, concentrating on moving one foot in front of the other. When I heard a noise, like a thousand screams, and the tearing of metal and stone, I knew at long last I had caught up with my quarry. I found the remains of the train a few hundred feet ahead. It had been derailed and lay on its side in a deep gash in the earth. I wondered how fast it had been flying along those old worn down rails before it finally threw itself free. The trees around it were still smouldering. There was a smell in the air that made me sick to my stomach. I could not tell what damage had been done to the train from the crash and what had been done beforehand. There were, oddly, fewer bodies here than I thought I would find. I clambered onto the remains of the carriages to look for the soldiers, but there were none inside, and those I did find were away from the tracks, those who had been flung furthest away, or who had perhaps survived the initial crash and crawled a little into the trees before succumbing to injuries. I repeated my process for each of them, covering my notebook in the black ash as I worked. I felt numb, hollow inside, but I could feel, deep down, my stomach filling from the bottom with a kind of icy fear that I could only keep pushed down with moving forward. I finished my work and took in a deep, shaky breath that threatened to bring up all of that fear and swallow me whole. I stood on the tracks, shaking. Waiting for the shock to hit, when again, I heard that awful shrieking noise. I pushed down on the fear again, and turned to face the thing that I was hunting.